turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. You may have noticed the title of the sermon this morning, and there's a lot to explain with regard to that title. I've already had a couple of people tell me, even though you're preaching this sermon this morning, Brad, I'll still be your friend. So, so that makes me feel, um, feel good. Hopefully I'll still have a few friends um, after we talk about these words of Jesus that are indeed words of Jesus, but hard words, hard words of Jesus. Before we, before we read, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the witness of Susanna this morning. And uh, we do pray that as she goes back, you would strengthen her and comfort her. We do thank you for uh, this day of remembrance uh, of those who have served. And we are called as Christians to always be remembering what you have done for us in the past. To remember the great love and the great grace and the great mercy of Jesus Christ coming and living and dying and conquering sin and death for us. And Lord, we pray that we would indeed, indeed, remember to come back again and again to your word, that we would come hungry and thirsty to your word, looking forward to being fed and and feeding on, on Jesus through the word. And so I pray that as I read your word this morning, as your word is preached, that you would come by the power of the Holy Spirit and you would speak to us. You would teach us and transform us. Encourage us and bless us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 25, I'll be reading verses 1 through 13. 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is God's Word. 
few years ago, a man named Christian Smith, he was a sociologist, and he gathered a group of people, and he did a study all over the United States of American teenagers. And he wanted to figure out what American teenagers believe about the basics of life and how they would answer the most basic questions in life. And they interviewed, they polled, they spent time with thousands of teenagers all around the United States. Some were professed Christians and went to church. Some were not. Some said they weren't Christians, didn't go to church. And they would ask questions like, who is God? Who are you? How should you be living? What's important in life? And they put all their conclusions together in a book called Soul Searching. This is just a few years ago, Soul Searching, the Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And they summarized all of this research with all of these teenagers in three words. Now, they're a little stiff, but we'll, I'll explain what they, they mean. Three words as they did these thousands of interviews and see if this doesn't ring a little bit true. They said, in general, these young people could be characterized by moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, what in the heck is that? It's way too early in the morning for that. Let me explain. Moralistic. Most of them said it's important to be good. It's important to do good things, to be nice, to do the right things. Therapeutic. Now, we could... We could define therapeutic in a number of different ways, but what they meant is not only are we supposed to be good, but we're supposed to feel good about ourselves. We're supposed to be good. We're supposed to feel good about ourselves. Now, deism, they're referring to the group of people that believe that everybody goes to heaven, or at least most people. But God is way, way off somewhere. He's just not very relevant to daily life. He's there. Most people go to heaven, but, you know, look, look, I'm a realist. I, I live a real life, and God doesn't really play much of a role in my daily life, they said. So God is on call. He's there when I need him. We're all supposed to be nice. We're, most of us are going to go to heaven when we die. But he doesn't really mess with me very much on a daily basis. One person responding to this said, We now face the challenge of evangelizing a nation that largely considers itself vaguely Christian, overwhelmingly believes in some kind of God, considers itself spiritual, but has virtually no connection with historic biblical Christianity. Does any of that sound familiar? If you've gone to other parts of the United States, I have relatives, lots of relatives, (laughs) 
in the Northeast. And I have some dear friends who are planting churches in the Northwest. And if you go to places like that, many people will say something like this. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're religious. I'm glad that you're Christian. I, I'm glad that that's good for you. I'm glad that that meets your needs. I'm not interested. I, I don't feel, they'll, they'll say this, I don't feel a God-shaped void. I, I don't. You start to talk to them, you know, Jesus can fill the void that I don't have a void. I don't feel a need for Jesus. They'll say that. It's fine for you. In fact, most people, have you noticed? Most people are hesitant to say very much that is negative about Jesus. We hear it all the time. People, atheists, saying, oh, if only Christians were more like Jesus. We like Jesus. He's a great example. He's a great teacher. He's a great great philosopher. But Christians, churches, don't need that. You know what Muslims think about Jesus? Do a little research and you'll find that they think he is a great prophet. He's not the exclusive son of God, but Jesus is a great prophet. He's not as great as Allah, but he's great. What do Hindus think of Jesus? He's divine. Like we're all divine. What do Buddhists think of Jesus? He's a great teacher. He's a great sage. Not as great as the Buddha, but a great teacher. We could go on and on. Here's the point. We have been trying to get at, over the last few weeks, the real Jesus. The Jesus of our culture is all over the place, all over the road. But when you come face to face with the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, He refuses to be put on a shelf and taken down when you need him. He refuses to be molded and twisted in such a way that he fits our personal worldviews or agendas. And every once in a while he tells a story like this. This is one of those wake-up call stories. This is one of those wake-up call parables. That Jesus tells. And he does this from time to time. And we see when he does this, he says things like, depart from me, I never knew you. He says things like, I don't know you. Whoa. And if we're going to come face to face with the real Jesus, would it be wise to dance around some of the hard things that he says? might be easier. But just like our in our relationships, sometimes there's things that might unsettle us a little bit. Might be harder. We need to know what Jesus is talking about when he says things like this. The real Jesus. So, 
I want to make, first of all, I want to make a few observations about the passage. Secondly, I want to make one specific application. A few observations, a specific application. First, a few observations. Notice in this story who the focus is on, who the central character is. The central character in this story that Jesus talks about is the bridegroom. Now, I don't have to tell you that wedding season is in full swing in Mississippi. It is, it's wonderful. It's that time of year. You know people who are getting married. Some of you are getting married. You're going to weddings. You've looked at Facebook. Lots of weddings this time of year every year and lots of whether it be a destination wedding a wedding at the beach a wedding at the church lots of planning and preparation and tension going on right now and excitement about being married getting married and dads are hearing those famous words and if you're the father of a daughter you will once hear the famous words Show up, shut up, pay up. It's that time of year. I remember one of the first weddings that I did at my previous church. I took the church, went up there. One of the first weddings that I did was my daughter's. I was more nervous than her. But I remember walking Hannah down the aisle... I walked her down the aisle and then I gave her away and then I went up and turned around and did the wedding. And, I, and it was a lot of moving parts for me and I was doing a lot in the wedding, but nobody was paying any attention to me. When the doors swung open, the music started, we walked into this very traditional sanctuary everybody stood and turned and they were not looking at me they were looking at the bride they were looking at her she was the center of attention when she comes in the party starts when she comes in the real celebration begins Sorry, ladies, first century Near Eastern culture was just the opposite. It was the groom. <laughs> I see some ribbing going on out there. It was the, it was the groom. Everybody's waiting for the bridegroom. When he comes in, the party starts. The celebration begins. There's lots of preparation and anticipation for him. He is what they were looking forward to. In fact, in this story, have you ever read... This is a fairly familiar story. Have you ever noticed the bride isn't even mentioned? Now, for the record, I'm not advocating this. Let's not do this today. But this is the way it was in this culture. The focus is the bridegroom and the coming of the bridegroom. 
And in this story, Jesus talks about not only the coming of the bridegroom, but the preparedness or lack thereof of the bridesmaids. They've got a vital job. They always have a vital job. A vital job today, vital job then. Their job is to be prepared. To be ready. When the bridegroom shows up on the scene, they need to be on the lookout. Now, some are wise, some are foolish. Some are ready, some are not. So we see in the story, Jesus tells the story um, in, in such a way that the, the, the bridegroom is delayed. Now, this is not unusual in this culture. He could very well be working out financial dowry arrangements with family before he gets there. He could also have been delayed. I mean, they basically gather at his house, all of his friends and family, and then they go on parade, so to speak, all through the roads of the village. And everybody comes out and they're all celebrating. So there's any number of reasons why he could have been slowed down. Financial arrangements, uh, the parade slows down, the great celebration in the village, everybody coming out. And it gets dark. And they have lamps. Now, if you study this passage, you realize some people say lamps, some people say torches. It really doesn't matter. You're still dealing with a flame and oil, whether it's a lamp or a torch. And Jesus is saying, some are prepared, some aren't, but the focus here is him. He's talking about himself. The return of Jesus Christ in glory, bringing the fullness of his kingdom with him. He is the bridegroom. He is telling a story that focuses on him and his return. The bridegroom is the focus. Now, another observation, number two if you're counting. The bridesmaids have only a limited amount of time. They have just a little amount of time. And there is a time at which they miss the procession, but there's a time at which we see in the story that the door is shut. And they're out. There is a time when... Choices, preparedness, opportunities end. Every one of us has a certain number of days, months, years, a certain number of ticks in our hearts, and only God knows. Only God knows. We don't know. But we see clearly that their time is run out. They weren't prepared. They went. Don't get caught up in a lot of... Some people have interpreted, well, the lamp means this. And essentially what Jesus is after is they ran out of time. I had the privilege a few years ago 
of doing the funeral for my grandmother. My grandmother lived a long time. She, I went to see her a number of times in hospice and came home. And She lived in, in New England. Our family on both sides goes way back in New England. And I remember that I'll, this is one of those, those days I will never forget. It was an old cemetery. It was cold. There was no leaves in the trees. Lots of family there. It was really interesting. Family from Texas and New England. Now, that was quite a mix. And Grandma Mills, when I did her funeral, I was reading the Bible, and at one point in the service, I looked up from the Bible, and I saw all the family members. And right behind the family members, I saw tombstones that said Mercer. That's me if you don't know me, Mercer. And over here, Mills, my mother's side. It's a sobering experience. Doing a funeral and looking at a stone, seeing your name on it. We all have a limited amount of time. And sometime... At some point, that time will be up. And Jesus is reminding us of that. Choices will end. If you've ever been to some of the older parts of our country, um, pardon me, I'm a history major, I like this kind of stuff. Um, When you go to older parts of the country, or if you've ever been to Europe, there's a unique thing about burial grounds and cemeteries. Where are they? They're in front of churches. You can find it on the internet. Go, go and look at old cemeteries. They're in front of churches. There's a time in the 19th century where people said, oh, we don't want to see that anymore. Let's put it outside of town and make, it, make a memorial park and make it pretty and we can go out and visit it, but then we can come back and it's out there. Now, Highland's a little different. We, we ride by a cemetery on the way to church. That's what our forefathers did. They walked through cemeteries on the way to worship. They walked through burial grounds on the way to the sanctuary. And what did they see? Many of them didn't travel much. They saw names of people they knew. And they were reminded of God's faithfulness generation after generation after generation. And they they were reminded when there will be a time when our time is up. There will be a time when our time is up. Jesus is the focus. The bridegroom is the focus. There's only a certain amount of time. There's only a certain amount of time that we have. One more observation. The summary, the the summary, the heart of this story is in verse 13. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day 
nor the hour. The final observation, we are called to, to preparation, not prediction. The emphasis of the Bible over and over and over again is not to try to figure out all the mysterious comings and goings, but to be ready whenever the coming comes. Preparation, not prediction. I remember years ago as a pastor, there was a man who was very anxious to meet with me, and he had a a plan, and I've, I've mentioned this to you before, I'll say it again, he was so fired up about what this community needed. And when we got together, he sat down, Brett, I know, and I was expecting, you know, we need a certain speaker, or we're going to have small groups, or we're going to have uh, churches gathered together to have events or whatever. He said, no, we need a prophecy conference. That's the most important thing. In the world. Okay, nothing wrong with prophecy conferences. Nothing wrong with studying prophecy. Prophecy is throughout the Bible, but it's not the most important thing in the world. And a lot of Christians and certainly non-Christians down through time have made that mistake. A lot, You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons sprung out of just this kind of thinking and wondering and guessing remember one time when I was at RTS, I was a student at Reformed Seminary, I came to study to be a pastor, wasn't quite sure, sure I wanted to be one yet. I was on the way to chapel one morning with a group of guys, men and women, and right, I kid you not, on the way to the chapel, we were all walking, there were dozens of us on the way, and right before we got to the steps, there was a pair of shoes I don't know how they got there. It was an old pair of empty shoes. And we all looked at her. Oh, my gosh, there was only one guy that was right. He was secretly raptured out of here. (laughs) Empty pair of shoes. No, we're called to be prepared. We're called... To be ready. You know, the, the emphasis of the Bible is surprise and readiness. Surprise and readiness. Matthew 24, 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Matthew 24, 36. Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Years ago, I'm going to date myself, years ago there was a guy that most people considered the forefather of contemporary Christian music. The patriarch of contemporary Christian music. And, you know, a lot of you will say, I don't know who that is. Well, you can look him up on on YouTube. Larry Norman. Anybody remember Larry Norman? Larry Norman... Uh, wrote this song called, Why Does the Devil Have All the Good Music? And one of his famous songs, oh, he was radical, he was radical at the time. One of his famous songs that he was known for, still known for, is I Wish We'd All Been Ready. I wish we'd all been ready. And he goes through the song, he talks about two men are 
are together and, and one leaves and one stays. A man and a woman are together and one leaves and one stays. One is taken, one isn't. He says, I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Jesus is coming back. There's a limited amount of time and we're called to prepare. We are called to be prepared. Um, what is that? I'm going to touch on this. Here's the application. How do you prepare? What's the app? What, let's make this practical. Is there something you need to do or just say, I'm ready? The Apostle Paul, in the letter to the Ephesians, wonderful letter, begins this letter by saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is offered to you freely for your salvation. You have nothing to boast about. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You can't earn His love. You can't earn your salvation. And then he gets to the end of this little short letter, and he says this in Ephesians 6:18 To that end keep alert To that end keep alert with all perseverance and you remember he goes on to say here's a picture of what you ought to do to be alert What's the picture of a soldier appropriate for memorial day The picture is of a soldier. And all these, you know, we've all done this in VBS, all the different parts of the armor. But the picture is of a soldier. And I'm going to summarize this in seven words. (laughs) Because I don't want you leaving, I don't want to leave you hanging. What's preparedness? Here it is. Go back and read the passage. Ephesians 6. Seven words. First, truth. We have had the truth revealed to us, so we are people of truth. Do you pursue truth? Are you a truthful person? Do you look for honesty? Do you recognize deception? Righteousness. Because we cling to the righteousness of Jesus Christ for our salvation, we try in response to his love and grace and mercy to do the right thing. The right thing is important to us. Not to earn our salvation, but in response to His grace and mercy in our lives. Third, witness. Because He came for us, we go for others. Fourth, faith. We trust that God will keep His promises to us through every up and every down in our lives. Five, hope. And this is this helmet of salvation. We are saved so we have hope. We are never without hope. Hope. Scripture. We treasure God's Word. We read God's Word. We hear God's Word. We memorize God's Word. We steep ourselves in God's Word. 
And then finally, prayer. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Truth, righteousness, witness, faith, hope, Scripture, prayer. That's how to be prepared. That's what preparation looks like. You remember how the Bible ends? There is a wonderful, and this applies to all of us today, whether you're a Christian or not, there is a wonderful grace-filled wedding invitation. And it's for everybody. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride, the church, say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty, Come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And the very last line of the Bible. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Is the very last word of the Bible. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? For fulfillment. For contentment. For hope. For salvation. If you're not a Christian or you're not sure... (laughs) Run to Christ today and place your faith in Him alone for your rescue, for your salvation. And recognize that the bridegroom's returning, the King is coming, the King is coming back. If you are a Christian, if you're not a Christian and become a Christian, prepare. Prepare. Another old song. You all know this. I'm tempted to sing it, but I'm not. I don't want the sanctuary to empty. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. Sing Hosanna. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this amazing little story that reminds us that You are going to return. And our time is limited. And you call us to prepare. But we're all invited. We're all invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And Lord, I pray that that now, as you are here, we know you keep your promises. We know you hear our prayers. We know the Holy Spirit is praying with us and for us as we pray, so we asked. So we ask. We pray that you would meet us, meet every single one of us at our particular point of need. And Lord, we pray that from the depths of our hearts we would accept the wedding invitation. We would accept the wedding invitation. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.